Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Nick Papa, second-generation firefighter with 20 years of volunteer and career experience, a captain with the New Brighton Fire Department in Connecticut, currently acting in an administrative role where he's the Chief's XO, a huge passion for handline operations. Nick loves the work of a truckie, but hands down can't pass up an opportunity to ride downtown in the engine. Founder of Fireside Training, where they are dedicated to providing the highest quality education by passing on vetted practical information for the fire ground. With that, I present Mr. Nick Papa. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Nick Papa. I'm the captain with the City of New Britain, Connecticut Fire Department. Uh, how I got into the fire service. Uh, as a second generation firefighter, I grew up in the fire service. Uh, my father's been, is still involved in the fire service at age 65 and still going strong with no no uh, uh plans of, of pulling out anytime soon so he uh he was in the fire service well before i was born and i just grew up in that environment and was a kid that wanted to be a firefighter and never grew out of it i mean it's as far back as i can remember and my parents can can certainly confirm this but i never wanted to do anything else i mean for me it just there wasn't there wasn't anything even in the realm of possibilities. It was, I, I was 100% committed to the fire, the fire service. And uh, the one thing about me is like, when I set my sights on something, like I'm laser focused and I don't stop until I make that happen. Uh, so that was, you know, basically the, from my whole, my whole childhood into adolescence was just front sight focused on, on getting out of the fire department and, you know, thankfully that kept me out of a lot of trouble uh, growing up because, mm-hmm. you know, I was so paranoid about, <clears throat> you know, mess, you know uh, getting something on my record or, you know, having something mess up my chances. So that uh, that definitely kept me on the straight and narrow and kept me out of a lot of trouble. Uh, so I'm definitely appreciative of that for sure. Um, but that was that, that was it. And I was fortunate enough to get hired on the job very young. I just turned 20 years old when uh, when I started with New Britain. I actually uh, got the job offer when I was 19, so it was uh, I was very fortunate. You know, time a lot of this is timing too. Uh, um, I was lucky that when I turned 18 and was eligible to start testing around, uh, there was a lot of places that were that were testing. So I tested all over the place, and we encourage everybody to do the same. You know, if you're trying to get on the job. Even if it's not a place that you necessarily want to go to, uh, the testing experience is invaluable. And especially if you if you don't have, if you're not on the job anywhere, you know, getting your foot in the door somewhere is is going to set you up for success. So that, that would be my my biggest uh, recommendation to any of the listeners that are trying to get on the job is, you know, keep yourself out of trouble, keep uh, keep yourself healthy and and in shape, and just take every every test and seize every opportunity you can to, to better your chances. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I can attest to that. Cause I got into the fire service when I was 21. I got, vol- I got into volunteering when I was 17 and it definitely kept me out of trouble in high school. Pretty much like the fire service was my high school. Like I, I, I skipped prom. I, as soon as class was over, school was over. I went to the firehouse. I did my homework there. So I can definitely attest to that 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 is a actual true statement 
Um, it it definitely has changed my life. I can share that too. I, uh, my, my high school had a, a a work release program and because I I didn't need many, many credits my senior year to to graduate, you know, my, I, I would get out a half day and it was, my senior year was, 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 was pretty awesome because I, I had, I got out at 1230 every day. And then I only had one academic class. It was I think senior level algebra and the rest were all shop classes. So I was, I was a shop rat in high school. I used to, you know, all my electives were, you know, wood shop, metal shop, you know, uh, all the, all that stuff. So that was, uh, it was pr- pretty nice. I hit up math class first thing in the morning and the rest was in the shop. And then from there I went to the firehouse uh, afterwards and just ran calls uh, during the daytime when it wasn't the cross season. So it was, it was a pretty good deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I can hear the cue in the background there. So somebody's going yeah, to the yeah. job town over there. <laughs> um, Local department going out. Uh, you mentioned your dad is 65 and he is still active in the fire service. Yeah, yeah. That is so awesome. Active. That is awesome. So he, so my dad did, uh, he's been in three different departments in the, the greater Hartford area. So he started out in, uh, in Weathersfield, did just shy of 10 years there. Then we, uh, we moved to Newington, which is sandwiched in between the city where I work in Hartford in central Connecticut. And he did uh, the bulk of his time there. He did uh, 25 years with Newington, retired as a deputy chief. And you know, that was the, the department that I, that I grew up around. And uh, I started my, my fire service uh, career there as a, as a cadet when I turned 16. And then when I was 18, joined as a, as a full-fledged firefighter, did my fire one and two training while I was going to college. And uh, then didn't didn't last long there. And then as soon as I got on the job in New Britain, uh, that was the end of my my volunteer time. And uh, just went went on to New Britain and been there ever since. Okay. But yeah. Okay. He, uh, so then he retired from Newington uh, a few years ago. You know, probably actually more than a few years ago now. And. Uh, he thought he was all done and then uh, a friend of his from so he lives right on the border of, of the next town which is berlin and uh, a friend of his that was uh, a chief officer in that town kept hammering him about like hey like there's no way you're all done like you got still plenty of years left in you i know you you know you want to get back in like throwing an application to berlin and you know just just come in as a as a, as a firefighter and just have fun and my dad kept, you know, blowing it off, blowing it off. And lo and behold, he came home from work one day and there's an application sitting on his doorstep. So he's like, all right, well, I guess this is my, my sign. So he fills it out and joins back in and he's been having a blast ever since because uh, the, uh, the Berlin fire department's got a really good, uh, really good culture, you know, very, uh, you know, he's, uh, he runs a lot of calls with some other guys that are in the same boat as him or uh, you know, guys that, that still have some good years left in them that, that love the job and just want to keep doing it. So, the, you know, him and a few, a few other guys that are, that are around that, that same tenure. And you know, one of them is a retired Lieutenant from the PAC in Hartford. And, you know, those guys just have a blast and, you know, they're passing along, you know, all their tricks of the trade to the younger generation. And uh, I think that's, you know, keeps them going a lot. He's, oh, he's, oh, yeah, that, that's what got me involved in, in teaching and, and training because my dad's always been a huge proponent of training and it was, it was always, always mentoring uh, the you know, junior members and was always, you know, as far back as I can remember, he was an instructor and 
you know, he was the one that was right in the mix of all, all the drill sessions. And his big thing was, uh, was tech rescue. He's uh, really big into extrication. That was always his niche. And so that was, uh, when it came to that, he was always, you know, putting on these elaborate drills and, you know, that was definitely his, his jam. So uh, it was, I just remember, you know, going, going to the, uh, the drill days on the weekends or drill nights on, on Monday nights and just, that was what I viewed it. That was my normal, like mm-hmm. seeing my dad you know, doing his thing out in front of everybody. And, um, you know, that for me, that that's how I wound up going down this road of, you know, for me, it was just, that was the example that was set. And it was all about just making yourself better and, you know, being good at your craft. And then, you know, that obligation of, of passing it on to, to others to make sure everybody else is, is up to speed. That's, so that really set the set the example for me and and really pushed me because that was like I said that was the environment I grew up in. Right, right, right. So is he in like a, a an administration chief role or is he on the truck? No, he's he's just a a, a backstep firefighter. He he's got awesome. a, um yeah, they uh they gave him uh or he got they has a, a safety officer title as well, but you know, he for the most part, he's just uh, having a blast riding the back step. I mean, he, he spends most of his time either either driving or riding the tailboard. Cool. He's, he's having a good time. I mean, that just goes to show, you know, like as long as you keep that right mindset, you know, your your your, your physical fitness, you know, in line with the job, man, you could you could go on for a while. I mean, that's awesome. Like hearing that, because most people would be like, "Oh, he's probably like a chief's role, chief's aide." And you're like, "No, he's he's still on the truck doing doing blue collar work." So that's awesome. Yeah. So and the, the crazy thing too is he's like the six million dollar man now. He's had uh, double knee, double hip replacements, and I think it was his first week back from his last uh, knee replacement surgery. Uh, they literally his first week back they end up catching this just you know really you know really good job uh big two and a half story frame fire started in the basement auto exposed up to the first floor so i mean they had two good floors of the fire um and he wound up on uh on the second line making the push on the first floor so i mean it's he's he's still doing it cool cool and uh that's 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 always great to hear great to hear for sure um, so <clears throat> you're currently a captain with new, new Brighton. I want to get that right in Connecticut. Uh, so, uh, and you, you did tell me that you're, you're on a, you're kind of doing an admin role currently. Um, yeah, the, uh, things kind of took a, a hard left for me. So I, uh, my ro- road to making captain's been, uh, anything but, sh- uh, been straight and narrow for sure. Um, I, I've worked. The guys I've competed against are, are some studs, so it's it's always stiff competition. And uh, I first two tests, I or the, the the first test I just missed the mark. Uh, second test I did really well. I, I came out uh, came out third, and you know the top two guys we were separated by like tenths of a point. You know, it was literally like one one multiple choice test question we were separated by. And I thought I was going to get picked up this last time around on the line captain's test, uh, but unfortunately just just missed the mark and. You know, kind of hedging my bets. I had taken. Uh, we have an admin captain's position. It's uh, you know, you're basically the XO to the fire chief. So the you work directly with the the chief and the assistant chief of the department, uh, doing you know st- strategic planning 
in in carrying out the the administrative level functions of the department. Uh, so I took that test with really no intentions of, of going after that job because it, it really like I, I'm a line guy, you know. That's right, true. right. The the spent the, the the last seven years before that on our downtown engine company, and that's that's where I like to be. Uh, I mean, to me that was that was tops. So I had my sights set on on that, and um, but like I said, I hedged my bets. Took that test just for the testing experience and to keep my options open. And uh, lo and behold, uh, I come out number one on that test. Take the promotion at the time. I was detailed into our fire academy, running our, our recruit class, and took that promotion, which didn't really change anything for me because I stayed detailed for another couple months to finish out the school. And then I thought I was going to get made in either February or June. And then that uh, life's got a funny way of. Uh, changing your plans on you. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I, I pivoted and, you know, jumped into this job with both feet and it's been a really invaluable experience. And you know, at first I was, uh, you know, of course, you know, a little, a uh, little heartbroken that, you know, the, the line captain spot didn't kind of come about, but uh, one of my best friends uh, who I got hired with, uh, he was, uh, used to be in the infantry in the Marines and, you know, we, I'm a big military buff and, uh, you know, always have had, a, you know, the utmost respect for the Marines. And he had, uh, when I started uh, right before my first day starting that new job, he had reached out to me and said, Hey, listen, you know, I know you, you didn't get the job that you wanted, but this is a really good opportunity and just go in, go in there with an open mind and uh, a perspective of this is going to challenge you in new ways. And, um, he's like, remember even, even the, the frontline guys in the military that are in the high speed units, as they go about their career, especially the guys that are uh, that are on the officer track, they cycle out of those uh, those frontline jobs into admin posts at you know frequent at regular intervals throughout their career because mm -hmm. the military values that that well roundedness. So right, you know, even even those guys that are in those hard hitting you know frontline units they're cycling out and they're doing some sort of administrative post uh, frequently throughout their career, whether it's cycling through, you know, the training cells or, you know, doing, you know, various other roles. And he said, just, just remember that. He's like, this is just going to uh, give you, you know, more skill sets and give you a different perspective and allow you to uh, increase your, your influence. Cause now you're working directly with the chief and the assistant chief. You know, so that's, and, and I did just that. And, you know, I don't do anything halfway. Uh, mm -hmm. If I'm doing something, it's full bore. So I just hit the ground running, and you know, the, thankfully, I, I have the. I'm blessed that I work with two really great chiefs. That uh, they're very uh, younger guys. They uh, they both did uh, full careers in the city of Hartford, which is uh, a very aggressive, um, you know, well-respected department here in the Northeast, and they're. They're they're firefighters, you know. What I mean, it's they're um, they they haven't they're not that far removed from right that and right. Uh, they they haven't forgotten their their roots, and like I said they're they're very committed to moving our department forward. I mean, we've been able to do some pretty amazing things over the last couple of years, so it's been it's been great to to work with them, and especially uh, my assistant chief. I work with uh, very closely our operations chief, and he was. Uh, 
Uh, he was actually the captain of the CAC in Harvard, so he's got an incredible pedigree behind him. Uh, and it's been been great to you know see behind the curtain and you know get a, a better idea of the inner workings of, of the department and how things actually get done. And it gives you a, a much greater respect and makes you have a little bit more patience for things because on the line we just see what we don't have or what's not happening and right we don't what we don't have see and have that that firsthand knowledge of is everything that it takes to get whatever it is that whatever piece of equipment or whatever excuse me policy and procedure or whatever it is that we're griping about it things just don't happen overnight and i think that's the thing that those of us who are on, are on the front front line tend to, to lose sight of or not have an appreciation for is, you know, they, especially the chief, the chief has to do a lot of uh, bartering kind of behind closed doors. I mean, the, the biggest part of, of his job is really to be that political advocate for us mm-hmm. to, you know, really sell the needs in, in, of the fire department and, and to, to make those, uh, to have those conversations with politicians in order for us to get the funding that we need, in order for us to get the approval for, for the initiatives and the equipment, and it's it's a lot. Um, that's that's very much a, th- a thankless job. Um, there, there's there's a lot of uh, you, you definitely take your take your licks in that job, and, and it's that we're very lucky that uh, our chief definitely he's put his put his neck out on the line for us uh, on numerous occasions, and has uh, you know kind of really stood up for you know the the needs of the department and the needs of the other membership and you know he's been you know very good to us in that regard and uh said our, our with having our ops chief position was uh, was vacant for a, a number of years and now that we it, we've had one for the last few years i mean we've really been able to make some incredible uh some incredible strides to, to push our department forward okay awesome um when you were still on the truck though what what was the culture like within the four walls of your firehouse? How did you set that tone? So just like at every other shop, I mean, uh, I was blessed to be in our downtown house where you know, the guys that are there almost for the most part want to be there. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a busy house. Uh, out of that house, we've got the engine, uh, one of the two ladders, and then our shift commander runs out of there as well. So, I mean, there's it's kind of the hub for everything and, uh, on it, the engine company, uh, engine one goes to every fire in the city. Uh, so it's it's really, for me, that was the place to be. You know, I had the opportunities to go back to a truck company a, a, a couple of times and people were kind of shocked that I didn't take the opportunity. But, um, you know, when I first got promoted to lieutenant, I, all I wanted to do was go back to a truck. But when I went to the engine, you know, because they want you to get your sea legs as an officer and get right. your bones as a boss, uh, which I, I wholeheartedly believe in is I fell in love with the engine again you know when after my first year I had I was going to be inheriting two probationary firefighters uh one of which was was a female so I really needed to step my game up to make sure that I was prepared as an officer to train them up as as uh as new firefighters but also um I needed to get my head back in the engine mindset because I, mm-hmm. I promoted off the truck. I spent a, a couple years on uh, on one of our ladder companies. So I was in that mindset. And I had taken Aaron Fields' NASA forward program. 
and to, to get myself back in that mindset to, to build my uh, my engine company skill sets up and be better prepared. And also I knew that class was very uh, functional in, in regards to, you know, kind of maximizing, uh, you know, body mechanics and, you know, using, uh, using leverage and uh, through proper, you know, proper technique. So for me that I knew, you know, one of the females I was getting, she's in very good shape. She was an uh, a collegiate athlete, but smaller stature. So I right. want to make sure that, I was able to, um, I had techniques that I could pass on to her because I'm not a big dude by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm in good shape, but I'm, I'm for all intents, I'm a, I'm a smaller guy. I'm, you know, five, five, nine, 165 pounds. So there's not a, not a whole lot to me either. So not only did, was it beneficial for me, but now I was having these, uh, these skill sets and these techniques to pass on to her in order for her to, to maximize her ability to, to do the job. So that was uh, a really uh, high priority for me. And after that class, that was one of those transformational uh, experiences in my career where, uh, I mean, anybody who's heard Aaron speak, I mean, he's yeah such a captivating speaker and right. uh, speaks very much from the heart and uh, he challenges you. I mean, if you're, if you're going in there and you're being honest with yourself and open-minded, his, his speech is going to challenge you as as a person, as a firefighter, uh, as an instructor, and it makes you step your game up. If you're if if you're if you're, if you're taking an honest uh, self assessment after that, um, it's going to change your mindset and change the way you go about doing things. And it did. Uh, and I've taken that class you know, numerous times since then. And you know, I'm thankful to to call Aaron a friend and a mentor. Uh, but that really was one of those trans transformational moments and made me take the job that much more seriously and um, has allowed me to uh, to develop, really develop my skill sets as, as an engine company firefighter and then be able to pass those skill sets on to, to everybody else. And it's, that's been a game changer for, I think, for our department too, because I, when I did our academy class, that's how we based our engine company operations module off of, was we basically uh, did a a version of, of novel forward uh, for our department during during engine week and throughout the uh, the duration of the program. Okay, all right. And if you if you had to choose engine or truck for the remainder of your fire service career, which one would you choose? If I could go, uh, if I could stay in a downtown engine company, that would be where it was at. Yeah. It's okay. Just, it, it you know what it is. Um, In, in, at some point in your life, you, you really figure out what what you were made to do. Mm -hmm. And as, as, I, don't get me wrong, like I, I I love truck work. It's um, there's a lot to it. There's there's a lot of thinking that's involved into it. You have to be very flexible and adaptive, and uh, especially in like the outside vent firefighter position, like you have to. There's a lot that's a, that's a thinking man's game. You have to be able to do your own size up. You kind of work independently and autonomously. Usually, you're you, you, you're not under the direct supervision of an officer. So there's a lot to that. Um, it's a it, the thing I liked about the truck was when the brake popped, you went right right to work. You didn't have to wait for anything. Okay. Um, whereas the engine, unless you were first due, that wasn't always the case. Right. Um, but engine uh, when I was at engine one, it was really the primo spot. We had. The smallest first due district, so we ran the, the, the least amount of uh, medical calls out of all the engine companies downtown. 
but we went to the most amount of flyers. Um, and okay. we had the most first three flyers too. So it's a great first three district. You're smack in the middle of the city. You go, you go everywhere and uh, catch every fire. And to me, and it's like, that's after nozzle forward. And after I really jumped into to work with both feet, um, it's really that has become a passion for me, and um, I, I love teaching uh, handline operations, and <laughs> uh, I love being on the engine because you know we, we get the we get the new guys you know, when they come out of the academy, and uh, I really enjoy the, the the mentoring of of the new firefighters and the, the increased training tempo that comes along with it. So there's it's just that whole that whole experience, and to me there's there's really nothing that that compares to being that first line in the door and making that push down the hallway and that is that is tops when you get a good fire especially when it's well vented and you know it's just nothing but orange in front of you and you you know you just lock in with that that nozzle firefighter and you make that push i mean it is that experience is uh it, it's it's hard to uh to match up to okay Hey, no, no, uh, no rebuttal there. Everyone's entitled to their opinions. So no, that's awesome, man. I mean, I, I can't knock it. I can't knock it for it. Um, I did forget to ask. Um, can you tell us a little bit for those that don't know about New Brighton, the size, how many stations, things of that nature? So, uh, so New Britain's in Central Connecticut. It's uh, the first city west of, of the city of Hartford, which is the capital of, of Connecticut. Uh, New Britain is the fourth most densely populated city in, in Connecticut. Um, which sounds impressive, but it, it's, Connecticut is a, a small state and we really don't have any major cities. Uh, you know, Hartford, Bridgeport, New Haven, Waterbury, those are kind of our, our four, four big cities and we're kind of like just underneath that. Um, but those are only like uh, 1.125,000 people in, or 200,000 people within those cities. And we're, uh, we're coming in just under that at about 75,000, but we, we have that many people jammed into 13 square miles. Right. So our population density is about 5,500 uh, people per square mile. Um, it, New Britain is a, it's an old New England mill city. So we have, we're predominantly a multiple dwelling city. So we have a lot of what we, here in New England we call three-deckers, which are three-story wood balloon frame constructed uh, multiple dwellings where you have one apartment per floor. Mm -hmm. uh, most of our three-deckers are actually peaked roof three-deckers versus what uh, a lot of people may envision from like in Boston where a lot of the three deckers are, are flat, okay. flat roof. Okay. Uh, we, we do have those, but a lot of ours are, are peak roof. So you have an attic space above that, which may or may not be a livable space as well. So there, we have that unique piece going for us. I mean, we have thousands of those in the city. And on top of that, we also have a lot of three and four story ordinary constructed um, uh, multiple dwellings as well, which, for any you know anybody that's familiar with New York City style construction, um, it's very similar to what New York calls their old block tenements. So they're they're center stairways, you know, the three four story walk ups, and you've got an apartment on either side of the stairs. Uh, usually they're like what are called railroad flat style apartments. So all the rooms are stacked in line with each other. So the benefit of having this you know very kind of standardized building construction is it makes uh, orientation and you know navigation throughout these buildings that much easier because you know they they all follow a pretty uh, pretty standard layout okay. so it's, it definitely helps with your size up process and your ability to, to maneuver throughout these buildings because there's 
there is a, a large sense of familiarity because you know if you've kind of been in one you've been in them all for the, for the most part I mean, just like anything else there are oddballs and anomalies but for the most part, we do have a lot of standardization in our building stock, which which makes our lives a lot easier. There's a lot of comfort in that. Okay. Okay. Um, and your personnel, are they firefighter EMTs or firefighter paramedics? No, we're, we're actually the bottom, the, the first, first tier, we're only first responders. Okay. So it's firefighter first responder. Okay. We're to the, uh, the, in Connecticut, we call the, uh, the EMR or emergency medical responder certification level. Okay. So we have uh, six, six firehouses um, with an engine company in each firehouse. Our two downtown firehouses have a, a ladder company. And as I said before, uh, the firehouse that I used to work out of, which was ones, also had the deputy chief shift commander out of it as well. And then our shift commanders have, uh, with their deputy chiefs, they also have a lieutenant's chief's aide uh, that acts as okay. their, their driver and serves as the accountability and safety officer at, uh, at incidents. Okay. So that... that we uh, we used to have uh, four person staffing on our engines and our trucks, but unfortunately we lost our fourth uh, fourth firefighter back in 2012 uh, through concessions, and then we used to have a, a dedicated heavy rescue as well, which we lost the contract before that in 2010. So we had some some major cuts uh, within my first five years on the job. You know, we went from a roster of about 156, I think, was our max roster, down to 130. Uh, and within two contracts, my first five years. Okay. It was uh, it, it it took it took a shot. I mean, we we prided ourselves on making you know making really good stops, and you know even though we've got a uh, we've got we have the same building stock as as the, the bigger cities around us, but we've got a fraction of the, uh, of the manpower, mm -hmm. and you know we were we're able to do to do the job, and we prided ourselves on that. But when we lost the rescue, the fourth guy, it made our jobs exponentially harder um and it, unfortunately it took until just uh just this past uh just this month that we were able to really correct a lot of the uh deployment issues that we had run into in the wake of that um just because of administrative changes and you know other things that were taking priority unfortunately but our so on a working fire we we would get a, a three engines a ladder the heavy rescue and then the chief Mm -hmm. uh, when we lost the rescue and we lost the fourth guy, we unfortunately never changed our um, our assignments to, to working fires. So our working members went from 19 down to 13. Wow. And we were still trying to do the same job with, with... a third less people. Right. And as you can, can imagine, that math doesn't work. The same jobs still need to get done. The buildings are still the same. If anything, the fires have gotten more difficult to deal with because they're growing and spreading at a much faster rate. The fuel loads have gone up. And now, especially lately, we've got you know, the lithium-ion battery problems to, mm -hmm. to contend with. So our working environment has gotten harder, more challenging, and we, we stripped away a third of our manpower. So one of my, uh, my, my biggest projects since I got into to this new position was uh, restructuring our structure fire response model. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm happy to say that I, I, I was able to, to bring that to fruition uh, on September 11th is when it went live. Uh, we changed from that three and one model to uh, a four and two. So now we get four engines, both trucks and the deputy chief uh, on any reported structure fire, which 
brings us back uh, back up to um, 20 working members on, on an incident. Okay. So we're, we actually uh, we have a surplus of one now from what we used to have on, on an initial assignment. So basically the way it works is I can give you a little rundown of, of our our alarm card. So we're very um, stand, uh, standing order driven department. Um, I'm, that's one of the things I'm very proud about is that our department has, has a very set operational playbook and okay. it allows us to just go right to work. We don't play the mother may I game and there's no guesswork about you know what your job's going to be when you're in a route or show up to a fire. Uh, our first new engine, and it's always, it's always been this way since well before I got on the job, and it's one of the things that, that we, we pride ourselves on is our first new engine does not stop at a hydrant. We don't lay in. Our first new engine goes right to the fire building and stretches on the fire. We place our highest priority on that first new engine getting water on the fire as soon as possible. Uh, the second new engine will we'll pick up the hydrant for the first two, whether that's uh, forward laying or reversing out, depending on uh, the street conditions. Uh, the third new engine is going to stage at a secondary water supply. They'll lay in dry. Um, if they think they're going to need a, a second water supply based on you know, the way that the fire's going, or if we have, if we run into any issues with that first hydrant, then they'll charge it. But for most cases, they're just going to, uh, they're going to wrap it, lay in dry, and then they're going to send their crew up. So once the, the second due is done with the, the water supply, they send their crew up. So the second and third due engine will either back up the first due engine if they have a tough stretch, um, or they're still stretch their own lines. So again, with us having a lot of three and four story multiple dwellings, we stretch vertically a lot. And because we deal with balloon and ordinary construction as our uh, as our principal building construction type, if it goes beyond a contents fire and becomes a structure fire, you're going to need lines on multiple floors because right. once it gets into the voids, it runs vertically. Because with balloon frame construction, if it gets into the stud channels, there's no fire stopping in between floors. It's basements connected all the way up to the attic space. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the ordinary construction. The the wet walls, all those plumbing chases, there's no fire stopping from basement to, to top loft. Okay. It's just wide open. So if if it's beyond uh, beyond the uh, the contents and gets into the voids, it's it's going to be all hands on deck, and those that second and third duands will be more than likely stretching their own lines. The first two uh, truck or both of our trucks will split in half. We have an inside and outside team configuration. Okay. So the officer, the officer, and what we call the Irons firefighter, uh, which is the tailboarder that sits behind them, uh, on the first two truck, as soon as the brake pops, they're gone. They're, they go, they're standing orders. They go right to the fire floor. They locate the seat. Um, if the engine still, if the engine is in, in position already, they'll kind of radio into the engine to get, you know, give them a heads up to confirm the location of the seat. And you know, if it's a larger building, they'll confirm the best means of, of approach. If they can confine the fire by closing a door, they'll do so. Um, if they need to use the water can, the, the, the Irons firefighter also brings a can with them. Okay. Uh, so they, uh, they'll, you know, knock back the fire. If they can close the door to confine it, they'll do so, and then they'll still search away. And then their job it becomes performing the primary search of the uh, of the fire floor. The outside team of the first due truck is the outside vent firefighter, which is the tailboarder, and then the driver. So the driver's going to position the truck for aerial operations. While they're doing that, the OV is going to get a, uh, get eyes around the rear. Um, the more heads-up OVs will tend to grab uh, a, a ground ladder off usually the first two engine company or 
you know, depending on the building, they make around the 28 off the truck and, and throw that while they're, they're get, uh, going to the rear, especially if they're going to uh, do horizontal vent of an upper floor. They'll throw, you know, proactively throw that ladder into position opposite the engine companies advance so they're ready to perform that function. And then the big thing is to get eyes around the rear you know, get an, uh, a read on conditions, uh, make sure there's no victims showing in the rear. And then, uh, especially in, in private dwellings, it's really important that they, you know, uh, take a peek in that, that rear access door to get a look at conditions and also make sure there's no victims that are, are within the, the, the threshold of the door. Uh, so that that's really a really heads up move uh, to do during that. And then they'll, they'll position for, for ventilation. So uh, if they're, if it's a top floor fire, uh, in, in a flat roof, um, if the fire's in the attic, the cock loft, or the new all void spaces of a finished half story, they're going to set up for vertical ventilation operations. Uh, if it's <laughs> if it's a peak roof, if it's a top floor fire on a peak roof or any of the the, the lower floors, they're going to set up for horizontal ventilation operations. Mm -hmm. So they'll you know throw a ground ladder and get into position, or if it's on the the first floor, they'll just get into position and, and get ready to take the windows with, uh, with a pipe hole. And then th th that's their function. The second dude truck is going to do the same thing. They're going to split. The inside team goes floor above, which used to be the rescue's job. So now they're 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 taking that over. So now we're getting crews directly to that most uh, the most vulnerable and dangerous position on the fire ground, which is the floor above. And then the outside team is kind of our our free safety. They're going to be supplementing wherever they're needed. So okay. if they're if if the the first dude truck needs help in their operations, they'll they'll fill in for them. Or uh, they're they're just going to perform whatever other support functions need to be done, whether that's throwing ladders for access and egress, whether that's taking utilities, or the first new truck always has the option to uh, to audible and DES um, if the the conditions are, are warrant it, and they they've gotten that approval from the the IC. Um, so if the first new truck has gone into DES mode, ventilation still needs to get done. So that second new truck would then backfill in on the ventilation side of things. So okay. that's really the, how we function. Then our fourth new engine is our dedicated RIT company. Okay. Uh, we, that, that's that's how we, we set up. But the our standing orders really makes for a, a more stream, streamlined fireground because it re reduces the the radio communications. Uh, there's no guesswork. It's we just go to we, we just go to work. Mm -hmm. That's really what it boils down to. And it makes it, it really helps out with the accountability aspect too because everybody knows where everybody else is supposed to be. And based on how people start arriving is how we can kind of gauge the, 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 the tempo of the operation and how things are going to start being accomplished and in what time frame. So it really helps helps in that, that uh, gauging that progress and, and understanding how things are going to flow. Okay. And I'm assuming all your trucks, minimum of three? or uh, Thankfully, we were able to keep four on the trucks as our, as our minimum. So the trucks have four. Okay. Because we, we have that, that split model. Mm -hmm. That's how they were able to really preserve that fourth firefighter when we were going through the, those um, those concessions during contract. Was they uh, they they had said that we you know we need to keep the four fourth guy in the truck at the very least because that would be a detriment to our operations. Which so was the fourth man in the engine, but we uh, we were right. able to to stop the bleed at least at the trucks. Okay. Okay. Any talks of ever bringing the rescue back? Uh, I I would love to see it come back. I, I think our our higher priority is to get the fourth firefighter back on the engine uh, gotcha. before the rescue would come back. Uh, there's talks about um, converting one of our engine companies into a, 
you know, for lack of a better term, I'll use just the, the word squad, you know, mm-hmm. uh, FDNY style, you know, squad company. So it would mm-hmm. still first and foremost be an engine, but it would have some tech rescue capabilities as well. Okay. So more of like a special call engine company for, for tech rescue incidents. Okay. Uh, but it would still maintain all of its, its primary functions at a structure fire as an engine company. Okay. Uh, it, it'll at least re- rest- restore our tech rescue capabilities. So we're, we're still able to provide that service to the, the community. Okay. And if a, um, and if new Brighton were to get um, some sort of like heavy pin in or extrication, is that being handled by the ladder or the engine companies? Yeah, so the, the truck companies uh, really ab- absorb the, the functions of, of the rescue. Okay. Uh, both on fires and the tech rescue realm. So they, they take care of all the, the tech rescue incidents and then they're supported by the engine companies that run out of their houses. Um, but yeah, the, when it comes to extra, you know, just base, basic extrications, the, the, la- the ladders carry all the equipment and they're going to run point on that. And then, you know, the engines will supplement as needed. But usually if it, if it sounds like it's going to be a more involved extrication, usually we'll, uh, the, the deputies will, will ask for that the second truck right off the rip. So that okay. way you're getting, you know, eight, uh, eight tech rescue, you know, uh, personnel and, and they, the additional equipment as well. Okay. All right. Um, with, with that being said, what keeps you, Nick Papa, personally, personally in, uh, what keeps you personally invested to stay positive and loving this job? Yeah, to me, there's no, there's no other option. I mean, your, your attitude really determines everything. There's, there's a lot of things that we can't control, but the one thing you can control is your attitude and your, your outlook on things. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I mean, you know, no, no place is perfect, but you know, I, I'm, I'm blessed to work in a, in a city that does see some, some fire duty. I mean, we're not, we're not burning the doors off like some of these other places, but you know, we see consistent work and you know, we, we, we have an aggressive department. We have really good guys that, uh, that are, that are extremely talented and are, are, are into the job. And, uh, just the building stock that we get to work in, it's, it's, a, I'm very blessed in that regard. Uh, so I, I don't take that for granted. And also, it, I mean, it doesn't matter where you work. I mean, you can work in, you know, small town suburbia or in, in a rural environment and you may only see a, maybe a fire a year, but it doesn't matter. Like, the, you know, the, we love this job because of what it is, you know, right. plain and simple. Right. Not everybody has the ability to, to, to work in, you know, the big city or in the ghetto and it, it's, there's that we, we can't always control that right what we can control is how we treat the job how we uh, how we we prepare ourselves our level of, of readiness and just the respect that we show the job and also we have to remember too and something we can't lose sight of is that we all swore an oath the first day that we started uh, on this job whether you, you're a volunteer or career it does not matter because we still all have that, that solemn obligation to the communities that we serve to perform a function. And that is to protect life and property from the perils of fire and what other, whatever other emergencies that we're responsible for mitigating, which aside from anything law enforcement related, it's us. Right. You know, if it's, if it's not something that that's, you know, related to law enforcement, when they call 911, it's us that gets sent. And we have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a, it's a, a, a very big responsibility. And I think it, it's very easy for folks to get sucked into that, that complete, that complacent mindset of, 
especially if you work in a, a slower place that oh, that's not going to happen here or oh, we'll figure it out when we right. get there. So, right. You know, that that when you start getting into that realm of, of whether it's ignorance, arrogance or a combination of both, uh, it, it's really a dangerous, uh, dangerous place to be in, in a slippery slope because this job has a way of humbling you very, very quickly. Um, and it can be unforgiving. Like that's, you know, I don't mean to be, you know, over dramatic about it, but um, you don't know what's going to come, you know, what that next call is going to be. That bell can hit at any time. And it could be that next call could be the call of your career. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter how small of a community you work in. That bell can hit at two o'clock in the morning on any given night. And you could have that fire of your career when you're going to be thrust into that situation where that's your, your make or break. Somebody's life is going to be hanging in the balance of you being able to perform your job to the level that the community expects you to do it at. Absolutely. The public does not care the struggles that you're going through professionally or personally, or what sort of uh, constraints that you, you have on your job, whether it's budgetary equipment, you name it, they don't care. They just want you to fix their problem. And when somebody's trapped in a fire, it's go time. And you better be ready to go because I can tell you uh, from firsthand experience that there's going to be times when, when you're just, uh, you're just dealt a losing hand. But the one thing that, that allows me to sleep at night is knowing that I did everything I could in my power. Absolutely. So God help anybody who is in a situation where you, you can affect a rescue. You can make that difference where you have a viable life that is that is in imminent uh, imminent peril and you can't perform because you weren't ready and you, uh, you weren't prepared god help you because i can't imagine that level of guilt and, and shame that must come with that because you're the you're gonna have to look at yourself in the mirror for the rest of your life and have to to come come to grips with i didn't i i didn't treat this job with it uh, with the respect deserved and i didn't do what what i could do in a time that i had to prepare for that moment you know it goes back to that that winston churchill quote of you know uh, you know we, we we all have you know the, there's special talents and abilities and you know that we're, we're there's going to come a time where we're put in a situation and we better be ready ready and willing to be able to to perform in order to make that happen and basically because you know how how unfortunate it would be if you know you you didn't uh fulfill that that obligation when you know you were you were put it put it put on this on the spotlight in that moment so that's really what keeps me going is uh you know i i've seen the the tragedy that comes comes along with this job and um when when you see the the, the dark side of this job it really ingrains in you um how heavy that that responsibility is and I don't ever take that lightly because of that. And it constantly reminds me of that. You're there's no there's no such thing as good enough. You're, you, you're, you can never learn enough. You can never be good enough. Um, every day is a training day and every day we need to be pushing ourselves to be better, whether that's, you know, mentally, me mentally, physically or tactically, you know, um, another very influential um 
organization for me has been Leadership Under Fire, Jason Bresler's group. And he talks about that, that triad of the, you know, the mental, physical, and the tactical domains. And, you know, we need to make sure that we're putting emphasis, equal emphasis on all those to make sure that, you know, our mind's right, that we're, we're taking care of ourselves and, you know, getting the, the rest and recovery that we need and we're, we're, we have healthy outlets outside of the job. Mm-hmm. For me, is you know, jujitsu and rock climbing and, um, you know, cooking. So, you know, you got to have, you know, passions and hobbies outside the job and have these, these outlets, especially the physical ones, to be able to just decompress and, and lose yourself and you know, get out of that headspace. Um, and then, you know, the physical, we got to take good care of ourselves. And, you know, yes, the, the firehouse meals are, are, are important and they're, they're one of my, fa- my favorite things to, you know, sit around the table and break bread with these in- incredible meals. But, you know, like I said, just making sure that we're, we're moderating our portions and, you know, eating, eating healthy and, and exercising because we're, you know, that, that, that term tactical athlete's been, it's been thrown around a lot the last couple of years, but you, you got to actually embody that. There can't right. be some, some buzzword that you throw around to make our job sound more illustrious. Uh, right. Public. Right. Um, it's you really got to live that and i mean not saying like everybody's got to go out and do these hardcore crossfit workouts or whatever but you know you better be you know have the be able to have the stamina to do the job to 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 the the fullest extent when when you're called upon because the thing you got to remember is you know the working at a fire is not it's it's not an endurance event it's it is a you know fast-paced you know, just burst of, 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 pow- of power and adrenaline and, you know, that you're not working for a long period of time, but you're working at like max capacity for that, that period mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. So it, you just got to make sure that you're training your body to be able to acclimate, uh, acclimate to that and be able to put out for that, you know, that 15, 20, 30 minutes of just maximum effort. And then, you know, making sure that we're, we're tactically sound so that our techniques and um, our, our are dialed in and you know the it's all about shaving time off the clock and that's where yeah you may be really you, you may know how to do the evolution you know, from a to z and you've maybe done it a, you know, hundreds or thousands of times but we need to keep like i said there's there's no such thing as good enough because there's always areas where we can improve just like in jujitsu the difference between a, a middle of the road guy like a, like a blue purple belt and a black belt is yeah they may know how to do the same moves but the black belt can do it perfectly there is no wasted space no uh you know no wasted time the the the, the degree of precision is night and day okay. it's all the, the, the little micro adjustments and all the um the body mechanics are just so surgical and but and if you translate that to the fire ground the continuous training allows us to the same thing there's no waste it's all about efficiency okay efficiency translates to seconds on the clock the more the the more uh, seconds i can shave off my evolution whether it's masking up at the door whether it's forcible entry or stretching that line to the door whether it's making that push doing that primary search the more seconds I can shave off the clock is the greater of percentage of, of survivability for any trapped occupants that there may be. So time 
translates directly to survivability of potentially trapped occupants. Absolutely. So for anybody that box at training or drilling because oh, I've done that before, I can do that. I can do that in my sleep. Good. Well, now let's make you even better. Okay. Because that's, if we can shave even a second off of, uh, of your, the time it takes you to do that evolution, that may be the difference of, of life and death for somebody. No. It's, really that, it's really that simple. And uh, uh, Ben Schultz out of West, uh, West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, he does a, a whole class on, that's really the, the whole basis of the class is, is like we don't, the, the, the clock and, and time doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the, 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 the citizens. Right. It belongs to the citizens. It's our job. Like we're, we, you know, we're, we're not going to get rich on this job, but we, you know, we get compensated, you know, pretty well, at least in my, my part of the country. And the least we can do is to be, to, to be proficient at our jobs. So that way we can give the community the best chance at survival, or at the very least, if there's nobody trapped, give their belongings, their property, their livelihood, the best chance of, of, of survival. Because yeah, there may not be somebody trapped, but we still have it. Like that's, that second incident priority is, uh, or that third uh, third incident uh, priority is property conservation. Right. So w once we realize there's no life, we and you know we're trying to stabilize the incident. Our third priority is property conservation. And there's, I think we tend to to forget about that piece of it too. Is that the quicker we get that fire out, and the less the the less water you know water we can use in the in the process, the the better chance we have of, of preserving that, the, that, that person's stuff. And, you know, it may not seem like much to you, but they said, I work in a, um, more of a, a depressed, uh, community. Okay. So these, uh, some, some of these people uh, may not have renter's insurance and, you know, there's no, there's no guarantee. Like that's one of the callous remarks you get from people is, well, the, the, the insurance will just replace it. Right. You're not, well, first of all, you're not even taking into consideration the, the idea of, priceless family heirlooms or things that are irrepla or irreplaceable, whether it's right. the things that the kids have made or, you know, things that have been passed down from generation that you simply can't replace. Right. Um, and then there's also just the, the hardship that comes along with just the loss in general. But, you know, when, when you work in, in, um, in distressed communities, especially you, your people may not have the luxury of, of renter's insurance for what, you know, whatever the, the, ca the case may be. So we need to do everything that we can in order to uh, to preserve uh, th those people's uh, livelihood so they can get back on their feet. And that's that's the other part of this. It's every everyone wants to focus in on the the, the for them and you know that all of mm -hmm. the rest piece of it. Which yes, that that that's the top priority. But we know that the there the percentage of of cases of entrapment are you know. Are far far outweighed or are far outweighed by the, the cases where there's there's not anybody trapped right so in that case we need to make sure that we we put that fire in check as quickly as possible and make sure that we preserve people's stuff that's the the, the other part of this is uh, right. unfortunately like listen I'm, I'm not perfect either but uh especially when i when i was younger and you know just full of piss and vinegar but you, you got to remember like this that building fire, that, that structure, it's not, and this isn't some like amusement park ride for you to get, you know, get your thrills off of. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen people, I mean, you know, I've been guilty of it in the past too, where you just, 
you kind of lose that personal side of it too of hey this is somebody's home right you know you kind of we just need to be more mindful of the salvage uh, part part of things too is you know just remembering that that was if you know people want to talk a lot about tradition and you know the uh, the roots of the fire service and our predecessors really put a high uh, a high value on on the salvage part of things too and we, we've kind of gotten away from that absolutely i think that's really important too is that uh, and aaron fields does a phenomenal job of really painting this picture and tells a, a, an incredible story about how they uh they, they went back in to grab some medication for for an elder elderly woman at a fire and he happened to, to notice a a really uh an old picture that that really like caught his eye and, and looked like a family heirloom and turned out he grabbed it and saved it and it turned out to be this was a um a, a black family where the that picture on the wall was their i think it was their great grandmother standing in uh, and she was the uh, first free uh, american member of their uh, family after um slavery was abolished okay the house she was standing in front of was the was, was the first house that the family owned okay and that pic and that picture was passed down from generation to generation and the family like burst into tears and even though that they, they they lost most of their stuff in the fire the fact that that picture was saved meant everything to them right so that that one little extra mile that you go could really make the difference for somebody and and could mean the world to them so just you know not losing sight of that is um, yes going to fires are fun and they're thrilling and um but we also have to remember too that we we have an obligation and a responsibility and we have to make sure that we're we're we're, we're truly serving the public no absolutely uh, hands down everything you said was was pure facts i mean yes the 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 for them Mindset is great, but if the for them is safe and we have checked to make sure it's safe, our next function is get water on that fire as soon as you can to preserve what they have. Because yes, we don't know, especially nowadays, you know, some people, some families, some individuals, man, they're living check to check. They don't have uh, the luxury of having insurance. So what they have is all they have. So I, I totally 100% agree with your, your, your sentiments. And it's, it's um, to go back to, you know, the, the other thing I loved about the engine and, you know, it, it, it may seem, you know, taxing at, at, at the time and it's not the most thrilling part of our job. But the thing I loved about the engine too is not only are you busier being on the engine, but also, you know, we were the typically the ones that were, we were out in, out in these buildings, whether it was medical calls, whether, you know, it was, um, the different service calls that we go on and we'd be the ones that would, would find a lot of these, these issues, or, you know, sometimes people get so desperate that they, they've, they've tried calling their, they've had, you know, they have landlord tenant issues because they're, they're living in squalor and the, the slumlords are doing nothing for them. And they tried all the other avenues and they get so desperate. Who do you think they call? They call the fire department. Right. And there's, and I, I, I it became a game for me. I, I really, there's, there was nothing to me like more gratifying than getting to, to be the champion for a, a, a lot of the, these, these folks that were, that were down and out that had exhausted their resources and 
um, that were getting taken advantage of by these slumlords and then now being able to come in and now make the, the phone calls, you know, bring in the fire marshals, the building inspectors and bring mm -hmm. in all these people to, to take these, these slumlords to task and to get these people taken care of. And, and right. sometimes that's where you make the biggest difference is it may not be the, the glory of making the push down the hallway or making that grab. Right. Sometimes some of the, the biggest uh, impacts you have on the, on the public on a day to day is getting them some, you know, for lack of a better term, getting them some justice and some, you know, so to, to make sure that they're being taken care of at, at their, the most basic, the ba most basic level. And that's where, again, we take some things for granted is, you know, working in a distressed community, you, you see people that are living in some deplorable conditions. And, you know, the, the most basic thing that we need, you know, you go back to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and like the most foundational thing is that that sense of security and, and shelter and you know, some some of these folks are just living in, in awful conditions and that these building owners don't don't always uh, do what they're supposed to do and um are, are just it, it's it's despicable something you know what you see sometimes yeah and to, to me that was always such a gratifying thing was to be able to come in for some call that that some folks would may think it, uh, think of as as a nuisance, um, but really taking it for what it was and saying, hey, this, here's an opportunity that most of the public doesn't have the doesn't interact with the fire department on a day to day basis or on any kind of you know frequency, you know, other than in, in an emergency. And sometimes they they may be be these um, you know, not so much an emergency, but it's still they're in need and right. now we have the ability to come in and solve their problems or at least get the ball rolling for the, for them to, to to get some uh some satisfaction and get some peace of mind and to me that was always such a great uh, great experience is being able to come in and and you know be the advocate for for the community in, in a different light and then also you're you're killing uh, like multiple uh, birds with one stone i mean you're not only getting them so their basic needs are being met. You're you're holding these slumlords to task, and then also you're making the building safer too. So it, you know, again, that that life safety, you're you're getting it on the front end. You're you're mm -hmm. going after all these these building code violations and and these other hazards that are that that are you know showing themselves, and you're making sure they're getting addressed. So you're not coming back a couple of weeks later at two o'clock in the morning because. There was that that water that water leak caused an electrical short and now the building's on fire. Um, it, it's that's the prevention side of things where you know we can do a, a lot of good on the day to day basis if we we keep an open mind and, and kind of really really take things for, for for what they are and you know not look at some of these other these these service related calls as nuisances and absolutely. It also, no. it, it, it becomes a training opportunity too. I was very big on the opportunistic training in the sense that anytime we went out the door, that was an opportunity for us to get inside of a building, to get better, right. to work on our size up, to you know talk about building construction. As an engine company officer, I would turn everything into in, all right, you know, uh, how would you stretch on this building? Where'd your, where would your drop point be? You know, what type of stretch would you do? Uh, how would you flake the line out? Um, you know, if the fire was in that room that we treated that patient in or where that issue was, you know, how would you navigate there? And, you know, what was the, tell me about the layout. And it just kept us in that, that mindset of the guys were always sizing up. The guys were always reading the buildings. They were always, always thinking in that, that fire mindset. 
okay. that just really just helped helped us be better prepared. Absolutely right. I mean, you could treat you could treat um, you like for us, we could treat our medical calls that we respond to afterwards. You know, you could look at different layouts of the house. How if in case this house was on fire, how would you stretch this line? What what would be the best means of egress? So yes, definitely. You said you could take your calls, your service calls. Some people call them nuisance calls, and and turn it into a a, a training event. So I hundred percent agree with you, hundred percent. Um, last question for you. In your opinion, what's one thing the American Fire Service can improve on? I think the one thing we can we can improve on, and this is actually something that uh, I was in a text conversation with Jason Bresler a few weeks back. We were talking about this. Is just the fire service taking a little bit more of a professional approach when it comes to education and, and training. Um, we've we've come leaps and bounds. I think over the last couple of years with this really this renaissance period um, that has kind of come in the wake of a lot of these, the, the UL FSRI, you know, studies that have been done and, you know, really taking a, a good look at our, the, our working environment and our tactics and, you know, better understanding it all. Um, and, you know, training has really kind of gained a lot of momentum and there's, you know, conferences popping up all over the place, which is uh -huh. phenomenal. Uh -huh. um, and with, the, the, you know, the internet's a double-edged sword, but the one thing that's been great about it is just the free flow of information and, you know, people are the networking uh, capabilities of people being able to pass on uh, information and, and connect with people from all over the country and to just learn from each other. And, there, you know, there's some, some pretty tremendous, you know, training groups that are, that are on the social media outlets that are doing a great job of passing along information and allowing people to, to talk shop with each other, which I think has been great. Um, but I think, yes, our, our job is blue collar, but it doesn't mean that it's not professional. Correct. I, I think a lot of times that people will, will use that blue collar line as a crutch for maintaining a lower standard. And I know that may kind of seem a little, little harsh, but, it, and again, this is kind of, kind of stealing this, this sentiment from, from Aaron Fields, but he'll talk about you know all right if we're if we're truly a vocation a trade and we're a, a blue collar job you know on par with a plumber a carpenter you know all these other all these other trades we need to be hold ourselves to the same professional standard because if you doesn't matter where in the country you go if you talk to a plumber a framer uh, whatever, and you speak a certain, you speak the, the jargon, the, the language of that trade, it's mm -hmm. uniform. Mm -hmm. they, they all understand the same concepts, the same terminology. Um, they, there's a certain standard that they're all held to because they have a structured uh, process of, 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 of journeying. You know, you come in as apprentice and then you're, you're, you could become a journeyman and then eventually you become that, you know, that, that, master of that that uh that trade right uh, but it's there there's very much a roadmap to, to getting there and um and they they hold themselves to a, a certain standard and th that's it there's there's no in between so that i think there's there's a little bit too much variance in the american fire service with this the standard that we that we hold ourselves to and um the, the thing that is a little bit tricky 
about the fire service versus a lot of those created in all fairness is that there is a, a major uh, regional co uh, component to the fire service. And you know, there is a, a certain degree of the fire service that, that it will always be local mm -hmm. because of the building stock, because of deployment models, um, and because of you know, the, the resources that each individual agency has at their disposal. Um, the way that we, we deploy is gonna look a little bit different, but the nuts and bolts of our operations should be uniform if we're you know the there should be a, a a certain standard in place when it comes to that universal ter you know terminology we should have a that that really dialed in you know language that developed that acute jargon and have a true understanding of you know fire dynamics and building construction and um and just really be dialed in in our 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 tactics you know, and obviously, like I said, the the way that we go about that is going to be is going to going to vary based off of those uh, those variable factors. But for the most part, we sh we should be on a, on, a, on a, an even keel baseline across the board when it comes to you know the basic fundamentals, and that's what I'm talking about: the fundamentals, the principles and practices of how we do our job. We really need to uh, continue to raise that bar and to. to if we if we want to really you know be the professionals that we profess ourselves to be, we we really need to continue to elevate ourselves. And again, there's been some tremendous progress made uh, throughout the country on a lot of these fronts, but we need to continue to, to push that ball forward in order to, to really make do on on the, the that oath that we took and make sure that we're up, upholding our end of the bargain when it comes to things. Absolutely, absolutely, yes, sir. Um, before we, uh, before we end, um, I call it the shameless plug. Uh, I, I, um, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, because I, I don't even think I even mentioned this, but you are the founder of Fireside Training. So, um, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, how can they? And that way, you can also tell people what exactly your training company does and represents. The easiest way to get get a hold of me is if you just go to, to and to get access to. I have a lot of free content available online, so if you go to uh, what my training company's website, it's firesidetraining.org. So just remember it's .org. Uh, that will provide you with everything you need to know about me, about my company. Uh, my email address is on there. It's firesidetraining@yahoo.com, and then I've got a, a ton of, of free con content on there as well. All the articles I've written for, for fire engineering and that have been in um, FEPN's newsletter, uh, the, the training minutes series I did through fire engineering, and all the podcast appearances I've done, and the couple podcasts that I, I did with a, with, a, with a few folks uh, a year or two ago are up on there. And then I've got a lot of uh, documents up there for, for that are really good training resources. So the Really, the, the, the big thing that I do is I, I have a lecture program uh, called Coordinating Ventilation, Supporting Extinguishment and Survivability. So it's, even though the, the basis of the class is on ventilation, it is not a, it, it is as I'm sure people are wondering, like, wait a second, you said you were a big engine guy. What are you doing teaching on ventilation? <laughs> well, the title of the, the class is Coordinating Ventilation. If you think of who really is at the tip of the spear when it comes to the coordination aspect, it's the engine officer. Mm -hmm. it's, 
the engine officer is, is always that principal benefactor that's on the receiving end of that, that ventilation because the, the constant at every fire is there, there's going to be some degree of, of venting for extinguishment or that venting for the fire uh, where we're venting opposite or above the hand lines advance. That's pretty much the guarantee that there's going to be some level of ventilation in that regard, which that nozzle team is the, be that the, is the primary benefactor of that or the, the guaranteed benefactor of that ventilation. And so who's better to talk about the, the timing aspect of it and, and all the, those nuances of it than the guy who's calling for it and the guy who's going to uh, receive the, uh, the effects of it. So that's really what the class is all about. It's not a how-to class on how to cut a hole in the roof or you know, how to overcome the various obstacles of horizontal ventilation. It's all about, it touches a lot about uh, fire dynamics, about size up, about um, how fire grows and spreads throughout structures. And then, you know, it's taking those, those principles and putting them into practice on the fire ground. And I have a series of, of 10 uh, universal operational guidelines. So it doesn't matter what type of environment you work in, what your staffing levels are, it doesn't matter. These are, are across the board uh, from coast to coast that can be uh, applicable to your fire ground uh, in order to, to allow you to, to have a framework to, to operate from and a baseline to, in your decision making in order for you to execute your tactics on a much more you know, consistent and streamlined basis. Um, by, and it all you know, relates back to that, that ventilation, but it's, it kind of transcends kind of all other functions in the fire ground because there's a lot of things that we do that influence the ventilation that may not be, you know, you may not think you're directly ventilating. Right. Such as opening up a door, pulling the wall or a ceiling, that's still a form of ventilation to the, the, those areas. So you need to you know, treat it as such. It's making, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of connecting, connecting dots is what that class is really all about, is it's tying a lot of these tactics together and really how we, how we coordinate them to, to achieve the, the intended outcome that we're looking for on the fire ground and, you know, maximize that, that tenability and the preservation of life and property as well. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Nick, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking some shop with me, uh, taking time out of your day. I know you're a busy dude. I hear your name a lot. So um, I, I just want to say thank you for coming on and, 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 and doing this interview with me. Oh, it's, it's absolutely my pleasure. Um, it's always always a good time whenever you can get get together with with like-minded people that are that are into the job that that treat it with the, the level of respect that it that it, it not only deserves but needs right and just you know, spreading positivity across our uh our industry and you know giving uh giving people an, an outlet and a connection point to you know just good people good information and appreciate what you're doing sir thank you i appreciate it if any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, contact me at studentofthegamefirepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.